This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. Welcome to Elevate. It is a treasure to be here. I never take it lightly, the opportunity to teach God's Word. It's always a joy. Uh, Let's pray as we dig in. Oh Lord, I thank you so much for everyone who will hear this message tonight. And I pray that this message tonight is by your Holy Spirit, that you'll shut my mouth with anything that's of me, and you'll open my mouth, Lord, with your truth. Let us have a whole new love and understanding of your Word. We love you. We give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are continuing in our series of how to study the Bible. And the first week we talked about what is the overall story of the Bible. Last week we discussed how Scripture is top-down. God revealed it. His authors wrote it. And then the Holy Spirit opens our minds to understand it. And Scripture has three purposes. To glorify God, to reveal Him to us, and to equip His people. Now, if the, the Bible is actually from God, then it has six Attributes. It's true, clear, necessary, sufficient, authoritative, and it's beautiful. Tonight, there's one overall purpose that I hope everyone gets out of this. And that is how we read Scripture. When we read Scripture, we are reading it to understand what the author meant to say. We open it up the right way. I saw a video recently of a lady complaining about her pizza. She she opened up the box and she saw a circle of bread. That was neatly cut, but it was just a circle of baked bread. And she's all frustrated. So she gets the, the pizza place on the phone and she tells them, I ordered cheese, I ordered pepperoni, and all I've got here is this sad circle of baked bread. If you hear the manager on the other side of the phone trying to figure these things out, okay, man, would you tell me your name? I'm going to look up your order. I see all the pizzas before they go out. I would catch something that unique of an order. And the lady goes on and on. Well, I'm still hungry, and I don't want to have to wait 30 more minutes for a pizza. I want a refund. And you can hear something click in the manager's voice. And the manager says, ma'am, 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 okay, uh, I understand. I think I've got a grasp on what's happening here. Would you do me a favor? And the lady, of course, keeps being sarcastic. And and, ma'am, ma'am, would you just please close the box? And the lady says, okay, well, I'll close the box. But when I open the box, there better be a refund in the box. Ma'am, ma'am, would you just close the box and put a hand on each side of the box? I don't know what you're talking about. My hands are on the box. What do you want me to do? And she says, would you please just gently turn the box over? And the lady is still confused. (laughs) Some of you are starting to catch up. And and the manager says, now, would you please open the box again? Well, I don't see what difference it's going to make. And when she opens the box, there is her perfect pepperoni and cheese pizza that had been upside down the whole time. Sometimes we open the Bible incorrectly. Now, I don't mean physically open the Bible. It's, it's, this is a metaphor. But we open it with the wrong mindset. 
will read through a text looking for the wrong things or, or asking the wrong questions. So how do we open the Word of God so that it opens up to us? And I've already given you the answer. We read the Bible to understand what the author meant. And when we do, we are blessed with all the good stuff and all the ways that the Bible does exactly what the author intended, to glorify him, to teach us about him, and to equip us for this life and the next. Reading the scripture in this way was the very thing that brought a huge blessing for a group of Jews in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 17, they read scripture for what Scripture objectively meant to say. And because they did, it brought these Jews to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So turn with me to Acts chapter 17. Now, the author of Acts is Luke, and Luke is writing about Paul's second missionary journey, where Paul and Silas are traveling around, and they're teaching in uh, these Greek cities uh, and the city that they're teaching in at the moment is Thessalonica. And that may sound familiar because we have a book uh, in the Bible, a letter written to the Thessalonians uh, after, after the fact. Well, what they did in Thessalonica is they were staying with a man named Jason and they would go to the synagogue every week for three weeks and they would try to prove Jesus as the Messiah from the Hebrew Scriptures, from the Old Testament. Now, they received in Thessalonica a disastrous response. The Jewish leaders rallied a mob and attacked Jason's house. And Jason himself was arrested, but some quote-unquote brothers in the church were able to get Paul and Silas out, somehow sneak him out, and they escaped to a nearby town called Berea. And that's where we're going to pick up our story. Because they have a very different response when they visit the synagogue there. So chapter 17, the book of Acts, in verse 10, let's pick up there. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So a synagogue for the Jews is sort of like a church. It's the pulse of spiritual life for a Jewish community in a city. And this is what they would do. They would first teach in the synagogue. And they would make arguments about Jesus being the Christ, the Messiah. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Verse 12, many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. And by not a few, it means many, many of the Greek women and men believed. So this is in stark contrast to what happened in Thessalonica whenever the mob attacked the house that they were staying in. And these Jews were counted as, quote-unquote, more noble. And if you'll notice, they weren't more noble because they believed. They were more noble because they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And because they were more noble and did those things, many of them therefore believed. It was because of how they handled Scripture that Luke wrote that they were more noble. So these, these couple of verses show how they, how they acted 
with the word of Paul and Silas. It shows their reception. It shows their ruler. And by ruler, I mean like a measuring stick. And it shows their response. So first, they received the word with all eagerness. Another word for eagerness could be zeal or preparedness or readiness. They were hungry to learn about Jesus and the gospel. They came excited to learn with expectation every week after week. David had that kind of love for God's word. In Psalm 119, verse 97, he writes, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Ten times in Psalm 119, David says he delights in God's word. There is an eagerness for it. Elevate, tell me something. What are the things you delight in? What makes you excited? What puts you in a good mood? Or what satisfies you? Let's read David again in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man. Blessed. Blessed. The word blessed literally means happy. Like deep joy, happy. Fortunate. Happy is the man who walks, and look, there's a negative, walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, his joy, his expectation, his eagerness, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He or she is like a tree planted by streams of water. Oh, how satisfying. That that. Stream of water is for the tree that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does and all that she does, they prosper. So look on, the, on one hand, we have, we have those who are not satisfied. They're not blessed. They're, these are the people that they walk in the counsel of the wicked or, or the wicked are influencing them. And then you have, and those who are Standing in the way of sinners. The way is like a lifestyle. So they're, they're looking just like sinners. They're camouflaging. They're, they're blending in with the lifestyles of sinners. And these are people that sit in the seat of scoffers. They take part in making fun of the very good things, the pure things, the godly things. So Elevate, I got to ask you, what are your biggest influences? Do, do you look and sound more like your unsaved friends than you do Jesus? Do you tear down things that are pure and good for the sake of humor? Because if so, you may find yourself being like a tree with no access to water. Do you feel like whenever bad things happen, maybe you wither a little? Do you put on a mask whenever you're tempted to follow the crown? Do you find yourself dabbling in the gray areas of sin? Well, David spells it out right there. Here's your weakness. You're not delighting in the law of the Lord. You're not meditating on it day and night. You're not like a tree that is refreshed and fulfilled by water every day and all day. But where is the happiness? Where is the satisfaction? It's there in God's word. Maybe you're thinking like, Man, I, I just don't enjoy reading the Bible, Dom. Uh, I, I find it dry. I find it 
confusing. Uh, I'd like to offer you an illustration. There was a father, and one of his favorite things to do was to take his little boy to the strawberry patch. And he loved to see this boy's delight as he ate strawberries. Juicy, red, sweet strawberries. Well, something kind of uh, terrible happens to a strawberry after at least the strawberry patched. It gets processed and it gets put into other strawberry flavored foods and it gets processed some more and mixed with more and more sugar until you eventually have products that are strawberry flavored that have no strawberry in them whatsoever. Well, this, this became true for his son. His son absolutely loved strawberry slushies. And he constantly wanted strawberry slushies. And it came to quite a bit of sadness the day the father, getting time with his son, took him back to the strawberry patch. And his son no longer liked the strawberries. He didn't want to have strawberries anymore. I mean, they, they didn't taste very sweet anymore. Well, what is this father supposed to do? Well, the father begins to take his boy back to the strawberry patch as often as he can. The father removes strawberry slushies from this kid's diet, the sweet, sweet strawberry slushies. And he takes them back to the patch again and again and again until he redevelops a taste, a palate for what is real, what is good, We have so many influences in our lives, whether it's certain friends, or social media, or entertainment, and they're just compacted sugar. Sugar offering fulfillment or entertainment or whatever it is. And we have lost, or maybe even never had, a real taste for what is true, what is good, what is unchanging, what is really, really beautiful. And if we want to have a delight in God's Word again, we're going to have to start cutting out a lot of the influences that have become such a center in our lives. And we're going to have to return to God's Word again and again and again until we develop a craving for what is real. And just like David, these Bereans were eager for God's Word. They delighted in it. That's what, that's what a Christian looks like. A, a Christian who delights in God's Word is someone who gets giddy when the pastor opens his sermon with, please open your Bibles, and then teaches truth from that passage, where you actually see in the passage where he's getting truth from. A Christian that delights in God's Word is someone who is actively adding biblical influences and removing worldly influences. A Christian who is delighted in God's Word is someone who is memorizing Scripture and whose taste is for what is real and what is lasting and is beginning to have a growing gag factor for the sugary messages of our culture. 
These Bereans received Paul and Silas's message eagerly. But I'll ask you this question as we move to the next verses. Were they open-minded? It says they received their, their word eagerly, but were they open-minded? What we have next is that they examine. They're examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. To see if what Paul and Silas were teaching were true. So let's consider how they opened God's word. Did they open it right side up or did they open it upside down? Did they open it the way I used to and maybe you're tempted to do? Or did they open it up correctly? If open-minded means that they accepted it, that they believed because Paul was a very motivating communicator, then no, they weren't open-minded. If it means that they accepted it because Silas was very philosophical and way smarter than they were, then no, they weren't. If it means that they accepted their word because everyone's opinion is equally valid, then absolutely no. One of the attributes of Scripture is that it has authority. If the Bible is genuinely God's word to us, then it has God's authority over us. Consider how the Bereans gave Scripture authority. If open-minded means that they eagerly considered Paul and Silas' teaching and examined it against the Bible to confirm it, then yes. But they were decidedly closed-minded to anything that couldn't be supported by the Bible. They weren't interested in opinions. They weren't interested in philosophies. They weren't interested in entertaining preaching. They took personal responsibility to confirm what Paul and Silas were teaching. And here is where you and I determine if we're opening the Bible the right side up. We can ask one of two questions when we open it. We have to ask the right one. The first question is, open it up and we read it and we ask, what does this mean to me? Consider that question for a minute. What does this passage, what does this verse mean to me? If we ask that question, and that question means I decide what the Bible is saying using my knowledge, my philosophies, my desires, and my current situation. This question, what does this mean to me, is problematic because it's subjective and it's influenced by my biases. Consider for a minute, your mom sends you a text message and it's a very simple text message. She texts, clean your room. Now you read the text message and you apply this first question. What does this message mean to me? You may conclude that currently there is nowhere to sit in your room because of your big mess. So messy is it that you can't even sit down to watch the TV in your room. So what this message means to me is that I need to clean out enough space for me to sit down. Well, this would be opening her text message upside down. You're making yourself an authority over your mom's text message by saying and interpreting what it means by what you want it to mean. When we open scripture and we say, what does this text mean to me? We are making ourselves an authority over the Bible, over God. But what question did the Bereans ask when they opened scripture? They, asked, they didn't ask, what does this mean to me? They asked the question that you should ask of the text message. When your mom texts you, 
clean your room, you should be asking, what does she mean? Well, that changes everything because now maybe something is uncomfortable that you don't want. But it's the right way to interpret her text. The Bereans opened up scripture and asked a different question. They asked, what did the author mean to those he was writing to? This is objective. It's opening the Bible right side up, and it gives God, the ultimate author, the authority over our lives. How can we know the Bereans read it this way? Because they didn't change their interpretation of scripture to align with Paul's teaching. To them, what Paul was teaching was either right or it was wrong, and the objective meaning of scriptures were the standard to decide. The author's meaning was their canon. Canon literally means a reed or a measuring stick. It was their canon. Imagine building a house without any tape measure or measuring stick, without any standard. Everything is just eyeballing it. Well, that would be the most wopsided, ridiculous, unstable house because you're going by your subjective opinion the whole time. But what you would need to build, what a construction worker needs, is they need to have an objective standard, a ruler, that everything is fitting in the same way. That's what canon means when we say the canon of Scripture. What was their canon? It was Scripture. And they tested Paul and Silas's word against canon, against Scripture. Scripture didn't change to fit them. They had determined whether Paul and Silas were correct based on that truth. And it's the canon of Scripture that we as Christians test every truth claim against. It's what we test every worldview against. What Scripture means is what it means. Not what I mean, what it means. And to throw a fancy word at you, to read it for what it means is the fancy word exegesis. And just because you hear the word Jesus in the word, it's not spelled anything like our Lord and Savior's name. It's spelled E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S. And and the word exegesis literally means to extract from. We're reading the Bible to extract from the text its original meaning. We're searching to understand what the author intended for God's people to learn. You can make a practice of it. You can think, if I didn't exist, what would this mean? This gives the Bible authority over what it means to me or someone else. The the opposite of exegesis is eisegesis, E-I-S-E-G-E-S-I-S. And eisegesis means to read into. This is when we put our personal ideas, our biases, our cultural intentions into. We read those into the text. What this means to me is... That's eisegesis. And it's a dangerous belief that Scripture can mean something different to you, but it means something different to you, and it means something different to me. 2 Peter 3.16 says, The ignorant and unstable twist Scripture to their own destruction. Whenever we do this, when we ask the question, what does it mean to me, we'll begin to pick and choose what we like. We'll begin to exaggerate what it says. We'll add our own meanings to passages. And ultimately, whether innocent or not, 
we begin to make it say what we want it to say. But it's so tempting, isn't it? We naturally want to make the Bible less offensive. We naturally want it to support our philosophies. We naturally want to sort of excuse our fleshly tendencies. But it begins to distort the truth. It begins to build beliefs that are more our thoughts than they are actual Scripture. We begin to avoid God teaching us something that we just don't want to hear. And it's very disunifying when everyone believes that it says something different. What this does, when we say, what does this mean to me, is grabbing the telescope of Scripture, which was, which was focused on Him, and we be, and so that we can see Him. The telescope of Scripture is so that we can see who God is. And we begin to turn the telescope around to be focused on ourselves. Remember, the author was writing to a very specific audience with a very specific message. That message is truth, and it's as unchanging as he is. And when we turn it around to look at ourselves, we make ourselves the center of Scripture, the purpose of Scripture, the end goal of Scripture. And I'll tell you, elevate the center of Scripture is Jesus. You and I don't factor in. You and I are a means to an end. The fact that Jesus saves us is for Jesus' glory. So just as a side, side note, a lot of you are going to be going off to college at some time or going off into the workforce at some time. When you do, what kind of pastor should you look for? You, you want to find a pastor who has a conviction to consistently teach Scripture for its intent instead of his own biases his own philosophies, his agendas, his political stance. A pastor's job isn't to tell us what we want to hear, but to give the accurate interpretation of Scripture. I'll give you an example of how we can do this with Scripture. Jesus in Matthew 5.44 says, Love your enemies. All right, well, let's, let's eisegete it. What does this mean to me? Well, Maybe, since I'm deciding what it means to me, I, the best way that I can love my enemy is to avoid them, because I really want to say some pretty mean things to them. And if I need to love them, then I need to avoid them so I don't actually say what I really want to say to them. All right, well, let's exegete it. Let's look at the context. The context is, Jesus says, to pray for them, to do good to them. Oh man, well that takes interaction. And then ask the question, who's my neighbor? Well, it's the guy in the story of the Good Samaritan who crossed the road to get closer to the person that he would have culturally hated. Do you see the difference? One gives me the power of interpretation. The other gives the Bible the power of interpretation. To exegete something, to, to read it for what it means is allowing the Word of God to speak to us instead of our yelling over it what we want it to say. Then the Bereans responded. So we have, we have their reception, we have their ruler, and we have their response. And their response was that many of them therefore believed. 
After they consulted the scriptures and weighed Paul and Silas's instruction against them, they recognized that the teaching was true. The Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament really, really did point to Jesus and taught the gospel. And when they realized it, many of them accepted it. They clearly saw Jesus. Then they changed their views to fit scripture. Because Christians don't change scripture. Scripture changes Christians. They believe it and they follow it. These Bereans believed it and they followed it. Look at David in Psalm 119. We're going to read just verses 1 through 7. It makes such a clear point. A follower of God reads scripture, believes it, and follows it. And it opens up with the word blessed again. Happy, joyful, happy, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. The scriptures, the commandments, the word of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes, your law, your commandments, your word, your scriptures. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. So for David, the center of his life was reading scripture, believing scripture, and following scripture. And that's what they did. That's what these Bereans did. They received the word with eagerness. They examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And many of them therefore believed. Every time we come to open scripture and read it, we're confronted with the reality of who God is, who we are, the truth about our empty world, and God's expectations of us. And some of these doctrines are uncomfortable. In fact, they're, they're offensive. They're unwavering. We may want to adapt Scripture to our beliefs, but we can never feel secure in something that was unstable. I, personally, me, Dominic, I can never rest secure in something that changed. But we can find such great security in how steady and secure and unwavering the Bible is. Civilizations change. Culture changes drastically. But Scripture stays the same. There was a man walking past the shop of a blacksmith, and he could hear the ringing of the hammer on the anvil. And he went inside to strike up a conversation, and he saw hanging on the wall were old hammers, a dozen of them, worn-out old hammers. And he struck up a conversation, asking about the hammers, and the blacksmith explained that over time the hammers wear down as he's beating on iron or, or whatever it is that he's making. And then the man asked, well, how many anvils have you gone through? And the blacksmith replied that the hammers wear out, but the anvil never changes. God's word is just like that anvil. And many people have come against it and attacked it. And, and sometimes in our lives, we want to come against it. And we want to change it. And sometimes situations in our lives are crazy. And we're in storms. But again and again, 
it stays unchanged. Our life situations can slam against it, and yet it stays and remains faithful. And we may want to twist it, and yet it stays faithful. And people come against it and attack it, and they try to unravel it, and again, it stays faithful. Elevate, I challenge you to open the pizza box of God's Word right side up. And you'll begin to hear God's voice instead of yours. And what will happen next is that you will be blessed. So I'm, I'm challenging you to have a Bible study again this week. And here's just some random miscellaneous tips. Uh, one, find a Bible translation that you can read easily. You can talk to your leaders about uh, some options. There's a lot of great options out there. Two, if you don't have one already, buy a commentary. Uh, if you have a study Bible, uh, the ESV study Bible is sort of our standard Bible at Elevate. The bottom half of every page is commentary. It's, it's people who are smarter than us, who know the biblical languages, who understand the culture and know history, who are writing to help us understand what Scripture means. And so if you have a study Bible with the bottom half being commentary, read it. If you don't have a commentary, go buy a commentary. Uh, a couple months ago, we sold the Warren Wearsby commentary. Uh, you can ask me for one. I'll order one for you. Uh, in February, as we start the, the Gospel of Luke, uh, the book of the month is going to be uh, another commentary. Uh, so pick one up. Another tip is if you're just now jumping into the Bible, do not begin, as many students do, in Revelation. <laughs> It's such a silly thing to do. I don't know why students always want to begin a revelation, but they do. Don't start there. Uh, begin with the gospel. Begin learning who Jesus is, and then the rest of the Bible will begin to make more and more sense. Um, check out a reading plan. Uh, we have two reading plans available. One uh, will go through the whole Bible in a year, and the other will follow just the story of the Bible. So you will miss out on a lot of the prophetic books or, or Psalms or stuff, but it will help you get an overall understanding of the whole story of the Bible from beginning to end. Uh, another random tip, and I used to do this as a kid, so you know, don't be too frustrated at yourself, but don't just open up the Bible in a random place, put your finger down, and start reading. That is a way to absolutely misunderstand what the author is trying to say. Uh, and then lastly, when you read the Bible, begin at the beginning of a book. Get the feeling of what the author wants you to know. Uh, so when you have your Bible study, soaps, scripture, observation, application, prayer, share it, and journal about it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every, every ear that's hearing this. Thank you for the Bereans who are such a beautiful example. Thank you for David and is so motivating to delight in your word. I pray you would open up their hearts, lead them and guide them, empower them. Thank you, Lord, for your word. What a gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.